Well, thank you again for gathering with us this morning. Again, as small as a group that we are, it is good to be gathered as God's people. It is good to be together. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. I've already used more than four words, a lot more than four words. But this morning, I want to specifically encourage you with four words. The four words I want to encourage you with are found frequently through the book of Ephesians. There's 155 verses in Ephesians, and of my uh, count, the best of my abilities, 41 of the 155 contain at least one of these words. These four words are found in the final two verses of Ephesians, and those four words are peace, love, faith, and grace. And so I want you to keep your ears attuned for those four words as I read from Scripture. Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. So that, you may also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Four words. Peace, love, faith, and grace. Four words that really function as summaries of this entire letter, the letter of Ephesians. As we've worked through this letter, we've seen three chapters of gospel explanation and three chapters of gospel application. Three chapters proclaiming truth, the truth of these four words, peace, love, faith, and grace, and three chapters applying these four words, peace, love, faith, and grace. These are simple words. They are clear words, but they're hard to define. If you really had to think about how would I define peace? How would I define love? How would I define faith? How would I define grace? Maybe you're, well, I'm certain most of you are smarter than me, but I find they're actually hard words to define. And so I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of these words, whether you're here and you're a Christian or not, whether you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time or a little bit of time. We can all agree that the world is a mess and that these words are something that the world needs. Peace, love, faith, and grace. And that sounds good, but I don't think a lot of us know how to get there. Certainly not on our own. So the book of Ephesians doesn't answer every question we have in life, but it is one of the densest and richest treatments on the gospel, explained and applied. Klein Snodgrass, again, I read this quote uh, four months ago. And he said this, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. You may think that's an overstatement. Klein Snodgrass has dedicated his life to studying this book, so maybe he's just trying to you know, justify it somehow. But pound for pound, Ephesians may be the most influential document ever written. Again, you can be the judge of that statement, but what I do know to be certain is that 
It is God's word for us today. Now at HGC, we typically work through books of the Bible verse by verse, section by section. Today is an exception. Maybe the obsessive compulsive among you are thinking, what is going on? We skipped a section. Why is he reading from the end of Ephesians? There's a chunk we missed, 10 verses. Well, you're right. We did skip a section. Now, we didn't skip it because it's unimportant. We didn't skip it because it's too hard. We didn't skip it uh, for any reason other than I want to give more time to it. And so in the new year, we're going to be working very slowly through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, working through the conversation of spiritual warfare and talking about the armor of God. And so we're going to work very slowly, take an item of armor at a time and just work through it and do a a deep dive. Now, you may also think, Aaron, you could have just started that now and done the end at the end. Well, I could have done that. But these last verses mention these four words, peace, love, faith, and grace. And I think they just capture so well what this whole letter is about. And so I didn't want to wait a few more months to, to do this part and summarize where we've been. Because as much as this looks like it might be just a sermon of these last four verses, again, this is going to be a little bit more unusual than normal. But what I really want to do is cover the entire book of Ephesians using these four words as a guide. Now, if you're with us for the first time or you haven't been with us much through this fall as we've been working through this letter, fear not. Uh, It is still applicable and still important. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. Uh, but I'm sure that you'll be encouraged by God's word. If there is anything that piques your interest, you can look back through our website or uh, different means to find sermons on specific sections. But we will be looking at really the entire book. Every Sunday, too, I try my best to have a big idea so that if you come away, you can come away clearly saying, that was the big idea of the sermon. I normally try to make these as simple and clear and hopefully memorable as possible. Again, you may think that you may disagree with how those go at times. Uh, But this morning is, again, going to be a little bit different. This is not an attempt to be super concise or super memorable. I hope it's memorable, but it is a little bit wordy. But our big idea is this, and I'll explain why it's so long. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. It's in your bulletins. If you have a bulletin with you, you'll find it there. And you'll also see the reason it's so wordy is we're going to be working through it word by word, section by section. Those will be our points this morning. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. So we're going to just work through that section by section, consider these last few verses, but more than that, consider the entire letter. And so this really is a big idea, not just in word count, but in significance. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, this is big. This is hope for you this morning. And if you are a Christian, I want you to consider how these four words, how this big idea, how this statement, how this letter applies to your individual life, your corporate life as part of a church, and your relationship with God. So let's start here. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement. Ephesians is a letter. It's an epistle. Uh, You may hear the word epistle. It's a letter. And it's a letter to the Christians that are living in Asia Minor. Paul wrote this letter from prison near the end of his life. 
And he's not addressing a specific problem like he does in many of his letters. Sometimes he's got a beef, you know, with a church, and he's got to take it up. This one, there's no real specific problem, but he writes to encourage them, to remind them of the truths that they know in the gospel, the truths that they know because they're saved, and he reminds them to stay strong and stay united in it. And so it is a letter of encouragement. He reminds them that they've been saved and how they are to live in light of that salvation. And so this morning, Christian, this can be the same encouragement for you. Be refreshed. Be reminded. Be encouraged that the gospel is as much for you today as the day that you were saved. Pray that God would ignite your heart for this love, for the gospel. Today, I know it's busy, Boxing Day, but if you can find 15 to 20 minutes, I would read through Ephesians today. Read through it and share with someone what you've been learning, what you love about this letter, about God's word for you, what encourages you, what strengthens you, what convicts you. This letter was read aloud for the first time 2,000 years ago to some new churches in Asia Minor. And this letter is for us today, a new church in Ontario. And so think of, uh, as you, maybe in the new year, you're starting a Bible reading plan. When you get to Ephesians, don't just skim over it because, you know, hey, we've covered it. I hope it's even richer for you as we've worked through it over these last four months. Now, this is how Scripture works. Charles Spurgeon says, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. So every time you sit down to read God's word, pray that he would speak. Pray that you would be encouraged. Every time you sit down, will it always be fireworks or epiphany after epiphany? No. But will you ever exhaust all that it has? Never. Psalm 119 is a long psalm. It says a lot about how good God's word is for us. Psalm 119, verses 103 to 105 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's our lamp, it's our light. And these are the sweet words of encouragement that we have today. Now, Paul gives his intention for writing this letter at the end. He sends his buddy Tychicus. It's a hard name to say. Tychicus. Tychicus. Say it with me. Tychicus. All right. Thanks, Trev. Uh, <laughs> it was good participation. Tychicus. So he sends his buddy Tychicus to share how he's doing. Tychicus pops up a few different times through Paul's letters and through the book of Acts. He's a loyal companion. As we see here, he describes him as a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. As he sends him to share how he's doing, he says that a couple times. He, he says, so he will tell you how we're doing. So he'll tell you how we're doing. He says it a couple times over. Now, Tychicus was likely uh, the guy who delivered the letter of Ephesians and also Colossians. He's mentioned almost in the same way at the end of Colossians. And Paul mentions his purpose, that Tychicus is going to come, he's going to bring updates, and he's going to bring encouragement so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so we can find 
encouragement in this letter too. And so Ephesians is a letter of encouragement, first for peace. Now Paul begins his letter with a significant uh, but typical greeting that he uses. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. And we see that this is the way he ends his letter too, but in reverse order, peace and then grace. And all throughout these bookends, the letter is packed full of peace and grace. Paul really gets into it in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He talks about how they are one in Christ. But before he even gets there, the context for that matters. Because those are the practical implications, how how we are to live in peace. But how he gets there matters. What came before? Well, he talks about in chapter 1 God's plan for salvation. The fact that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. His plans for salvation stretch into eternity past. That's beyond comprehension, but that is good news. And this matters. It's significant. And it makes sense because we've broken peace with God. Ever since the fall into sin, we have continued to sin. Humanity, we are sinners. We've rebelled against God. God is perfect, holy, and set apart. We're created in his image to glorify him, to have dominion over the earth. Yet we blew it. Humanity fell into sin quickly. Fell into rebellion against God. And this continues today with each of us. It's our nature. And it's because we sin that we don't want God. We want to be our own Lord of our life. Our hearts desire to satisfy our own desires, our sinful ambitions. We reject, we ignore God in the world that he created. But God is a good and just ruler. He cares enough about his creation to take our rebellion seriously. It would be unjust for him to not punish sin. Our world has not always been broken. But when sin entered the world, so did brokenness. And so that peace that we had with God went away. And the punishment we deserve for this rebellion is honestly what we're asking for. Our sin separates ourselves from a holy God. And the sentence that we get for continued rebellion is to be cut off permanently. Now, this is the biggest problem that we all have, the biggest problem in the world. And the solution to this problem is not to just get our act together, to be a better person. The Bible does teach us that our lives matter, that our actions matter. But we cannot save ourselves with good works. We can't earn salvation. Like other religions, it's not uh, this scale tipping. Or maybe with this season, we're thinking about this naughty and nice list. This isn't the way it works. That we hope that the scales tip just enough in favor that we do enough good that we could earn favor with God. This is not the message of the Bible. To work for salvation is no gospel. Gospel means good news. And so to have to earn your salvation, which is a task that we cannot do because we already have sinned and we continue to sin, is impossible. So that's not good news. That's no gospel. But God knew this before the foundations of the world that we couldn't measure up, that we couldn't earn salvation. And so instead, he sent his divine son into the world to save us, Jesus Christ. And as we looked at 
this past Friday on Christmas Eve. This is why Christmas is huge. We couldn't reach up to God, and so he came down to us. Now, Jesus lived a life that was perfect and sinless. He lived this sinless life so that he could bear the weight of our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb. He didn't deserve God's judgment, yet he took it. He had all the powers of God, yet gave himself up to be executed. Why? Why would Jesus do that? He did it so that he could take our place. He did it so that he could take our place. He died in our place so that we could now know peace with God. The punishment was paid in full. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, demonstrates that God's wrath against sin was satisfied and that he had power over death. And because of this, we can know peace with God if we would but turn from our sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. If you have never done that, we would love to talk to you about what that would mean for you this morning to trust in Christ, that his perfect righteous life could be credited to you and that your sin could be put on his shoulders. And friend, if you're here and you are a Christian, that is good news. Don't ever get tired of how good that news is for you. This is what it means to be a Christian. You're not born into being a Christian. Being a Christian is not something that you could earn, but it is full surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. This is the testimony of so many here that God would, as we sang, save a wretch like me, that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Share with somebody your story, how God saved you. If you're here and and you want to hear about this hope, turn to someone in the room and just say, where's your hope? And hear the stories of the blindness and the sight of the brokenness and the new life. And so whether you think you're a pretty good person or whether you think you are unsavable, the central message of Ephesians when it talks about salvation, is that this gospel, this good news is for all people. That's good news. It doesn't matter your race, your status, whether you are a man, a woman, an adult, a child, this grace is for you. In Ephesians, it's, it's punctuated, it's made clear by the divide between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are everyone who's not a Jew. And this divide was significant. It was clear, it was well-defined, and it was hate-filled. And so Paul writes primarily to the Gentiles here, and he reminds them in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Remember that you were at, one time, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The gospel is for all. Peace with God is possible. And Paul doesn't stop at peace with God. That would be enough, but he doesn't stop there. Because of that peace that we have with God, because of Christ, we can now know peace with one another. The very next verse 
says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, and not just peace with God, peace with one another. And this isn't just coexisting, this is true unity, one new man instead of two. This is significant. He illustrates this a couple different times in a few more verses. He says, you're not strangers anymore, but you're citizens, your fellow citizens. You're not just citizens, you're members of the same household. You're family now. You were enemies, now you're brothers and sisters. That's what the gospel can do. That's the peace that is possible because we have peace with God. And Paul talks a lot about the weightiness of this. He calls it the mystery of the gospel. And in verse, verse 6 of chapter 3, he is very explicit what this mystery is. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery. He also explains the purpose of the mystery, that somehow people that are completely divided could be made one in Christ. He says the purpose in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a big statement. Because of this peace that we have with God, we can now have peace with one another. And this is part of God's design to display his wisdom even to the heavenly places. That's crazy. That's good news. And so we've considered this before. The word here in verse 10 of chapter 3 for church is ecclesia, which means assembly. It's a group of people coming together. And so this peace, this unity is certainly displayed in the universal church, all Christians everywhere for all time. But it is made visible by real flesh and blood assemblies of sinners who now know peace with God and therefore can know peace with one another. The church is essential to God's plan for displaying his wisdom and kindness to the world. We see this when Jesus establishes the church in Matthew 16 and 18, and when he commissions the church in Matthew 28. We see this all through the book of Acts as the church is established, that the church matters church is essential. And so this is why we make a big deal out of membership here at Heritage Grace. You may think of membership as a bonus thing, an extra credit thing, but I don't think that's how the Bible sees it. It assumes that Christians would be identifiable, that they would be in covenanted community with one another. How else would there be any display if the church didn't know who the church was or if Certainly the world didn't know who the church was. And so it's not a country club membership. What is membership? It's a group of Christians. Who are Christians? Those who have trusted in Christ. They've confessed their faith. They've been affirmed by a church in their baptism. And so it's a group of Christians who covenant or promise one another that they will live together as the Bible commands. That's it. 
And I don't say that's it to make little of what church membership is. I say that so that we don't distort an idea of what church membership is. That we don't make it something that it's not. And so if you're here this morning and you are a Christian and you haven't been baptized, or you haven't thought about or have been hesitant to join or commit to a church in this way, I would love to talk to you more about this. This is not something trying to make a major thing out of a minor thing. I'm convinced that by recovering the assumed New Testament pattern of Christians uniting themselves to Jesus and his people in baptism and committing to visible, identifiable, a visible and identifiable group of Christians in a local church, that by doing that we can put meat on the bones of what God's plan and purpose is for the church. And so Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, which is rooted in love. Don't worry, these next words are going to go quicker. We're looking at the same uh, diamond, so to speak, the diamond of the gospel. But as we turn it, we see different facets, how the light shines through. And so we're going to look through love, faith, and grace a little bit quicker. Consider the gospel in this letter of encouragement, rooted in love. We see that this message of peace is rooted in God's love for his people. We see at the very beginning of the letter, in love, verse 5 of chapter 1, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was God's love that drove him to rescue his people. We were dead in our sins. Chapter 2, verses 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's love. Now, maybe the most familiar and underutilized verse in the Bible, because we think it's so familiar, is John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's God's love for people that drove him to rescue his people. And so just like peace, Ephesians makes clear that it's God's love for us that should be reflected in us to one another and to the world. Paul thanks God for their love for one another in chapter 1. When he writes to the Ephesians, he prays that they would comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ that surpasses knowledge in chapter 3. He prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love in chapter 3. He exhorts them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling at the beginning of chapter 4. Remember, he said, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. We talked about how bearing with one another, maybe we could... 21st century eyes at that and just say putting up with one another. How do we put up with one another? We love each other. That's how we put up with one another. Love is the great motivator. He says to work and serve one another, that the way the church is built up is in love. There's no way that we can read Ephesians and not see clearly that God loves his people and that his plan for his people is to love one another. This is how the church is built up. This is how unity is maintained. This is how peace is fostered. This is how the body works together. This is how and why we serve. 
We don't primarily serve in the church uh, for our own satisfaction. We don't serve because that's where we're particularly most gifted. That's great if all the stars align and that works. We serve because we love one another. Sometimes the best way we can show love for one another is when we do the thing that's hardest for us. This is how the church is built up. And so it's not only for the church's benefit. We see that the love of Christians for Christians is a display to the world. According to Jesus, how will people know that we are Christians? Not by our status, not by our platforms, not by our successes, not even by our love for the world, although that is essential and clear in Scripture. But how will people know that we are Christians? How will they know that we follow Christ? By our love for one another. That is significant. That is significant. This is Jesus' billboard strategy for the church. How will they know that we are Christians? By our love for one another. Maybe the clearest summary of this is in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think those are some of the most challenging verses in the whole letter. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us. That'd be a good way to really summarize the entire letter. Jesus loved us enough to die for us, and that must fuel our love for one another. We see that practically through the letter. Specifically, an example would be when he talks to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. There's not just a period at the end of that. That's not the end of the story. He says, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We talked about this, how there's a secret to the secret of a healthy marriage. There's a secret to the secret of loving somebody unconditionally. And that secret is that we have been loved unconditionally. That we have a source of perfect love. That we can try the best we can to reflect. We will fail because we are not perfect. But we have been shown perfect love. And it's that love that will fuel our love for others. And so as we looked at this peace that we are called to, it's a reflection of the peace we know with God. This love that we are called to, it's a reflection of the love that we know because God loves us. So that's peace, love. What about faith? Well, Paul thanks God for the Ephesian church's faith at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verses 15. Now, what is faith? We are saved by grace through faith. We put our trust in Christ. That's our faith. That's our hope. Kevin DeYoung describes it well, I think. He says, grace flows through the channel of faith. But the channel itself is God's construction. We are saved by Christ. Faith simply acknowledges and rests upon who he is and what he provides. This is what we mean about trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's believing that Jesus is who he says he is and he's done what he says he's done. And this is Paul's prayer that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And he anchors their unity in their faith as well. Chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
In a few weeks, we're going to look how the gift of faith is a shield against spiritual attacks. And so Paul reminds them of the importance of their faith at the close of this letter, as we looked at at the beginning. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we come to the last section. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. Proclaiming the gospel of grace. What is this gospel of grace? Well, it's the gospel. It's the good news that Christ came to save sinners. What is grace? One of those words that's hard to define. What is grace? Well, it's a gift that you don't deserve. I'm sure almost everybody here did some form of gift exchange over these last few days and come maybe today and over these next few days. As cliche as it sounds, it's the truth that the greatest gift you could ever receive is Jesus and his righteousness. It's absolutely the best gift you could ever receive. It's undeserved yet freely given. In chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God is rich in grace, and so he gives it freely. Ephesians also describes that he's rich in mercy. We see this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. Is the big idea sticking yet? Is that, is that a bumper sticker yet? Ephesians is a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. This letter teaches us a lot about God, teaches us a lot about us, and it teaches us a lot about the church. It teaches us our need for the gospel and the effects of the gospel. It's the gospel defined and the gospel applied. It was and is a letter of encouragement, a letter of hope for a new and growing church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. And it's a letter of hope an encouragement for a new and growing church in Breslau, Ontario in 2021. What is the summary of this message? John Stott takes his best crack at it. He says, so if we want a concise summary of the good news, which the whole letter announces, we could not find a better one than peace through grace. Peace through grace. On this weekend where we spend a little extra time thinking about the miraculous events of Jesus coming to earth. I hope that you're even more encouraged today of this good news that the gospel is. The gospel that we know because God didn't keep his distance. He came to us. 
the gospel that Ephesians proclaims so clearly. Ephesians, a letter of encouragement for peace, rooted in love with faith, proclaiming the gospel of grace. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for the gift of your son, that through him, through his blood, we can have redemption. We can have peace with you. We thank you that the peace that you've shown us allows us to have peace with one another. The love that you've shown us fuels the love that we are have to have for one another, that you give the gift of faith to us. Lord, help us in our unbelief. And we thank you for the gift of grace. Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray these things in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.